Now, our second speaker, um, who as Fraser mentioned, is right now in Geneva, is Joe Marie Griesgraber, who has very kindly agreed to step in at a late date to replace Domenico Lombardi, who for personal reasons could not join us today. And uh, in a technological coup, Joe Marie is going to make her presentation via Skype from Geneva. And this is the fourth of, uh, of four phases of input to uh, IMF governance reform, the first being the Independent Evaluation Office's study, which you can access on their web. The second is a committee of the board headed by the Swiss ED, Thomas Moser. The third is the a committee of experts um, headed by the former Secretary of Finance from South Africa. Trevor Manuel, and then the fourth is, of course, the best for last, civil society, which many of you have participated in and can still give your, your input. What I want to say very briefly is that we focused on two principles. The first is inclusion, and the second is accountability. Inclusion requires that the IMF quota be changed substantially. The G20 in Pittsburgh called for a five-quota increase. The G24, the Caucus of Developing Countries, called for a 200% quota increase. You can only by increasing quotas can you reallocate voice and vote because countries cannot lose their share of voice and vote unless they agree to it. But if you add more votes to other people, then they de facto are reduced. Now, a problem with the quota, there are a couple things. One, it has three purposes. It is the amount that is contributed to the fund by each member country. Second, it allocates voice and vote proportional to how much is paid in. And then it also limits the amount of money you can borrow. So whereas the United States contributes uh, somewhere around 17%, we never borrow. And uh, those who need to borrow are really restricted. And you can see that even as countries recognize, even among the G20, they recognize the need for additional resources by the fund. They're very reluctant to contribute until the quota is changed. And this is why we had the contributions going to the new arrangement to borrow, the NAB. Many of you may not have heard of it. They're lines of credit. They do not affect the quota of any of the payees, not the United States or the Europe or Japan or China. So this is interim additional money for the fund. The problem is the quota formula, which the G20 said they were going to keep, which is a very bad decision. It gives a lot of um, voice and vote to countries who have hard currencies like US, Europe, um, UK, Japan. These are the hard currencies. If you, in order to get your quota measured by this formula, you have to transfer 
transfer your pesos or your rupees to dollars or yen or something. That's a very bad thing. Likewise, they give no credit for population, which would help many developing countries. Third, they include intra-monetary trade as international trade. That means every time something switches between Belgium and Holland and back again, that's regarded as international trade. It's a fundamental source of the overrepresentation of Europe. So that is a way of excluding countries. So you have the fundamental problem that uh, countries are unequal. They're unequal in military power, population, wealth, nuclear weapons, and for this reason, it's always very hard to allocate voice and vote, whether in the Security Council, the General Assembly, or the IMF. What's good in the IMF is that the, there is representation, not perfect representation, because we have groups of countries together called constituencies, and those constituencies are headed by the largest both are the most powerful, biggest country, and they speak for everyone. They have no power to di divide their vote on anything. So this inclusiveness, everybody, all the countries, 184 countries are in the fund. They're all represented, but badly represented. So I encourage you to read the paper to learn more about double majority, different ways of counting votes of countries. Countries who don't have a seat at the table are badly represented. Um, the other point is the IMF is never accountable for anything it does. There is no mechanism of accountability. Um, you can read about this till you're blue in the face, but that's the simple truth. In our paper, we recommend that there be accountability in at least two areas, ex-ante evaluation of the consequences of conditions attached to loans. All civil society members were very incensed about the, the conditionality of the fund. Um, then there was also the fact that evaluation of just recently completed programs are all done by the IMF staff themselves. So if I am a head of a finance ministry in Zimbabwe or Rwanda, and the IMF says, how did we do? I say, oh, you did a great job. Why? Because I want more money from you, and I want to have a job in the IMF very soon because it pays well and it's cushy in Washington. So these are some elements of accountability. We would like to have either external IMF evaluation of their ongoing programs or recently completed programs or get the independent evaluation office to conduct those evaluations. And that's something Fraser and all of y'all, you all should help us lobby for to get the IEO to do this. We also have called for greater transparency so that countries and citizens hold their representatives on the board accountable. This is um, through having the transcripts of the board conversations made public and their votes made public. How can you hold your own government representative accountable if you do not uh, know what they're saying? You have no way of knowing, and it's illegal for them to tell you. So this is very bad as well. So you can see that there are some really fundamental things that need to be changed in an institution that has a huge voice in the lives of developing countries. They are the, the, uh, the approver. 
they have to give their approval to every government before they can receive foreign aid from any of our donor countries. They also can block aid and they determine the core policies of the of the developing countries' uh, macroeconomic policies. They have a very important role, and the G20 is giving the IMF increasing responsibility. They have to, therefore, become better governed, and you need to start learning about the Financial Stability Board, which makes the rules in secret and then hands them over to the IMF to be implemented. So the IMF looks transparent and accountable by comparison to the Financial Stability Board. So we have the opportunity and the responsibility to change, but right now we have to have a huge push. And going forward right now is the moment to push Canada, which has not always been a great citizen in this regard. Canada is a lovely country, I'm sure, but in this regard it's been a a force against substantial change, even as the U.S. U.S. is relatively good in changing IMF governance. The U.S. is very bad when it comes to changing World Bank governance because we don't want to lose our um, veto power in IDA. And Fraser can explain all of those concepts and questions for you. Please go to the website, thefourthpillar.ning, and Nancy I nnancyg.com and do continue to add your comments thanks and have a terrific terrific conference it was great to join you even if it was a one-sided conversation bye